everybody. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Uh, have a fantastic interview for you today with Dan Batista from Factor 4 talking about gift and loyalty programs. Um, but before we get to the rest of the podcast, I want to take just a second to talk about a new kind of disclosure that I'm going to give at the beginning of each episode. And so um, it was brought to my attention by several people in the industry that I really respect that sometimes people might be confused about, am I interviewing somebody who is a paid advertiser? Mm. Are they paying for us to promote them or are they not? And so I wanted to clarify a couple of things and, and what I'm going to do moving forward on these episodes. Good, so Good, good, because I've gotten a few of those questions myself. Yes. Yeah. So I think, first of all, to clarify, no one ever pays us to be interviewed on the podcast. Mm -hmm. So the only paid promotion would be the sponsor. Right now it's ISOAMP, which is my own company that I own. Um, right. And so that's, you know, that's our paid sponsor for the podcast. Um, however, no one ever pays to be on the podcast. That's not part of the kind of advertising package of like, you know, you're paying to be interviewed. Um, we just look for companies we think are awesome and people we think are interesting and have them on the podcast. However, right. I am moving forward going to say at the beginning of each episode whether or not the person that I'm interviewing is currently paying either myself or Patty for something, right? Are something they, or other services. Right. Yes. And that way, everybody is clear. Now, again, to me, I do separate these things, at least in my mind, they're so separated. It hasn't, you know, in my mind, it hasn't been an issue because right. I understand, you know, I have the advertising side and the publishing and all that where people pay. And I always say this content is sponsored by, you know, right. this company. Right. But, um, you know, in the interview, I do occasionally interview someone who is paying us for advertising. I would say that's less than a fifth of the total interviews. I guess we'll find out as we move forward, but it's not maybe it's a small percentage I know because I yeah. help you on the marketing side right. as well. So, yeah. right. And so it's, it's most of the interviews we do are, are, are not paid, are not paid. Um, yeah. but moving forward at the beginning, I'm just going to say, you know, this person has not paid us for sponsorship is not currently paying for advertising or consulting, or I'll say what they are paying for. And so I think that will just kind of help to clarify all of that. So let me start this episode by saying that Dan Batista factor four, neither of those companies at any time has ever paid for advertising or consulting services. This is just an awesome person from the industry that we really wanted to interview. So with that being said, Patty, uh, tell us about the insiders. Uh, our insiders report is uh, consumer payment usage. I know in the past I've given some data on sort of, uh, you know, general uh, transaction-based data. This is actually on preferences. And I think there were some very interesting findings uh, that James and I found very interesting. So, and then uh, I really, I really dug your uh, questions from the field, James, because it was like, one, was a lot. two, three, four. I love that. When you, <laughs> I, when took you like a, I took like a one hour training course today and gave you like the four minute version or something. Right. Um, it was the, I go through the six emotional states and this is something, I don't know if anybody else has something like this. I'm sure they do. I, it is something I came up with. I was talking about working with a particular consulting client and I came up with these six emotional states of a prospect, specifically when you're selling merchant services, at least in my experience, in this case, it's somebody selling point of sale systems remote. And mm -hmm. so I talk about those six emotional states and, and that, uh, and that concept. Um, so this episode is brought to you by ISO AMP, which is our paid sponsor, the company I own and operate. Uh, you can learn more at getisoamp.com, the leader in full service statement analysis. I'm ready to go if you are, Patty. Let's do it. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with Dan Batista. He is the CEO and partner at Factor 4. How are you doing today, Dan? Fantastic. How are you? I am doing great. So it's another uh, beautiful day, another beautiful day. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we are talking today about how to cut attrition in half. Pretty bold claim, uh, leveraging loyalty and gift cards and programs along those lines, which 
historically is one that our audience, a lot of times they kind of glaze over a little bit. Oh, gift cards, whatever. No, like yeah, this right. has come so far and there's so much to talk about. So I'm really excited <laughs> about the interview. But before we do that, Dan, give us your story. How did you get into this crazy industry and what led you to Factor 4? It's it's a it's a it's a long story, James, but I'll keep it short. Um, so um, I was a uh, regional manager for a uh, paint company, and uh, my older brother was uh, started a gift card company with his partner Vaden Lander, huh. and they decided they needed. Uh, yep, yeah, everybody knows Vaden. Everybody knows Vaden. And everybody loves Vaden too. Yeah. Um, Good guy. Uh, great guy. And uh, so they were taking on some investment. And needed someone to grow sales. So Brother Jim gave me a call. Says, hey, Dan, why don't you stop in and see what we're doing? And uh, the rest is history. 2007, we started together in the gift card and loyalty business. And uh, been in it ever since. Wow, that's great. Wow, yes. that's really cool. Actually, and, and I think it's the first I've ever heard of uh, somebody jumping from paint to payments. But That's right. Much different. Much different. Much different. (laughs) Much different. Much different. But uh, you've been there since 2007, so you pretty much, I I would say, have a picture, uh, a good view of the big, big picture. Absolutely. I was, I was an ISO myself between uh, gift card. We we got, we sold that gift card company in 2010, and we started Factor Four at the end of 2014. So I was an ISO myself selling uh, merchant processing for that period of time. So I understand that business very well. So, uh, okay. So, you know, I really want to talk about then why agents and ISOs should really be interested in this topic. Maybe you can uh, talk about the results you have that you've seen in attrition as a result of correctly implementing programs you offer and why you think this result is maybe consistent across platforms, because we all know different platforms. Great question. Great yeah. question. So, so you know, merchant processing, the hardest part of merchant processing is that you work so hard to get an account and someone comes in and 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 reduces their fees a little bit and they leave. Yep. And 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 in our in, in that industry, there's a 20-25% attrition rate, right? Every year that's going to happen. And 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 you've done all this work and, and you just lose them because you're 10% higher, 15% higher. So what we've realized is the more business that we can get and and work with that merchant, not just talk to them about our rates, but talk to them about how to grow business, how to improve sales, how to improve revenue, how to improve customer loyalty, have know who your customers are. All those things are really important. So if you can sort of tie in that merchant processing with gift and loyalty, your attrition rate is going to be reduced dramatically. Um, we've seen statistics where with gift only, um, that attrition rate is is half as much as what it normally is. And if you add loyalty, which really is a basis for a business model, then that customer is never going to leave you. Even if someone else comes in and says, hey, guess what? I can reduce your rate by 10%. You're like, wait a minute. We're talking about loyalty. We're bringing customers to you. We're doing all mm-hmm. those different things. Right. So it's just a whole different conversation. And, and it really changes the outlook of the merchant. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the cool things about this, Dan, is in our industry, there's just not nearly enough conversation around lifetime value. Right. Um, right. It seems like every other industry that I work with or that I talk to is like, what's the lifetime value of the account? What's the lifetime value yeah. of the account? Sure. In our industry, 
I don't think anyone's ever told me what the lifetime value of their account is. No. It never comes up and we'll have no, it's what's the spread on this account. That's yeah, right. Exactly. And it's <laughs> like, well, how it many basis if you're, points? That's right, right. Right. And it's like if your spread is good and you've got a lot of basis points of margin for seven months, yeah. that actually isn't that big of a deal versus like, hey, what if it's like 72 months? Um, yeah. and so I think a lot of the and you know, it's interesting, Dan, because this this is such a big issue to me because where it also ties in, and this is something where your brother Jim, I'm sure, is is involved in this as well, is this idea of like this lifetime value conversation has such a big impact on capital. In it our does. industry, we're so bad at capital. We're so bad at deploying oh. capital to acquire accounts. And a lot of it is because of this kind of misunderstanding of we don't think through the lifetime value of the account. So we're not willing to make capital investments that are sufficient to acquire. And then that makes us vulnerable to all these maintain. competitors. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next thing you exactly. know, to, you know, toast, toast, and others come in and say, "Are you people nuts in this industry? Like, we see the lifetime value. Sure, we'll spend ten thousand dollars to get a point of sale account. We're going to sure. make a thousand dollars a month for eighty-seven months. <laughs> you know, like, um. So anyway, um. All right. So I wanted to start this off by, you know, now that Patty set the stage of like why this should be interesting is it's attrition, it's lifetime value, right? Then the question is, why cross-platform and and talk about the importance because. You know, there's obviously different different um, you know processors have different platforms and things and different gifts and loyalty. Talk about the importance and why you decided to build Factor Four to where it would work cross platform. So when when we took over this business, took over this tech platform, we realized that there were really two key issues in our industry in our piece of it. Um, one was the customer service side, which we'll talk a little bit about it because we're going to talk a little bit about our competitors. Sure. But really, the cross platform, the integration piece. So, so the more places we could integrate our product to, so it could work across processor platforms, as well as different equipment platforms, whether it's POS or payment terminals, the end result is that the transaction comes to our platform. So we really don't care whether you've got a Valor terminal on Thesis or a Clover on FD or a Toast on someone else, all those transactions will work together. And that's what we've really built. So many of our competitors, as we get into this, only build one little island. What we did is build all the islands and connect them with bridges. Hmm. So let, maybe you could get even more specific for our audience uh, and talk about maybe some of the, you just mentioned a few right there, but talk about some of these platforms. So I think you mentioned uh, Valor, you mentioned Clover. Um, what about Pax, Ingenico? Are there others that come to mind that are kind of these key platforms that you integrate with? And 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 James, great Great point. We, we, we integrate with 95% of the payment terminals that are out there. So Deja Vu, Pax, Ingenico, Valor, um, Clover, Point. We've got many different POS integrations as well. Uh, shopping cart integrations, online ordering integrations. Um, again, a product that wasn't around two or three years ago. Right. That's all of a sudden now around, right? You have to have it. Um, and, and we're always doing more. We're doing specifically... Uh, specific uh, market uh, integrations. There's an integration to Club Ready, who's a gym software. We just integrated to DX2, which is simply a power sports management software for that uh, ver- that vertical. So we're, we're doing vertical integrations as well. So the more integrations we can do, the better off. We've got a full set of API documents, a full development team. So we work with those development groups to sort of connect the dots. Yeah, I like it. Because I think one of, one of the issues I've seen as an example um, agents, a lot of times will have a multiple location, uh, merchant. 
Mm-hmm. And they already had, you know, uh, Clover, you know, so they wanted Clover in this one location, but this other location, they don't need a point of sale system. They just want a Valor terminal. And then the other one had packs. Or, so, you know what I mean? And so exactly. I think what you're saying, if I'm understanding correctly, is, you know, they could sign that merchant up for factor four, both whether it's gift cards and or loyalty program. And that's going to work on all the devices at these different locations. Is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely correct. That is very cool. And and, and you talk about a market niche because none of our competitors do that, right? None of our, Clover's going to do Clover. You know, the people are going to use packs, use packs. And then the people that use Deja Vu or or Val are going to use other people. So, So we're able to use them all. And all those transactions will work across all those locations. Sure. So talk about, um, you know, integrated payments, right? So as we as we move forward, obviously you have these platforms, but what about the software vendors that are out there? There's, you know, 500 new software vendors that seem to start up every week. Um, as those in our um, audience and in our industry start to make those partnerships, um, talk about why would these software companies integrate with you versus just, hey, we're going to make our own loyalty program or that sort of thing. Like, how does that work? So, so we, we get those calls all the time. And usually what happens is most software groups say, look, we're going to build our own gift and loyalty program. We're going to do our own, mm-hmm. which is fantastic, which is a great idea. But <laughs> what typically happens is they start it. They don't finish because they have six other projects to do, right? right. They're, they're, they're never short on, on, on projects because the merchant processing piece is a lot more difficult. And what they don't have when they build their own product is they don't have all the tools that we have. They don't have the online balance checker. They don't have the full reporting. They don't have the franchise settlement. They don't have everything that that we can do. Again, that's all we focus on. So we have the ability with those ISVs mm-hmm. to either fully integrate our product in a white label fashion. We can white label our product. So it simply looks like your software. It doesn't look like our software. It looks like your software. But you use our tools. Besides our tools, you're getting all those integrations. So if you're a new POS and you want to focus on taking business from one of our integrations, you can do that because you're integrated to us. Um, so a lot of those ISVs come to us because we're, we've got full API docs. We give them the support and we take one project off their plate, which, mm-hmm. you know, we all know those software guys have tons of projects. They're six, nine, 12 months down the right. road and, and they're never going to get caught up. So we're sort of a solution that's sort of out of the box. And we've seen that really, really increase over the last couple of years where POS products just came to us and said, we just want you to run our gift card program or a loyalty program because you guys know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that kind of segue is, is good a good segue for, for my question because, you know, I've talked about this in the past. It's no secret that the legacy gift card programs that are provided by the big processors are pretty much a bust, you know? Um, and I'm wondering from your perspective, if you could explain to us why that is and what do you, what is it that Factor 4 does so differently that you're able to keep this as a robust product offering? Tremendous question. And one of the real uh, benefits of working with Factor 4 is that most of the large processors have these legacy gift card programs that were named different things and were purchased or sold three or four different times. And 15 years ago. <laughs> and 15 years ago. So what happens is those larger processors, they make, let's just say, $200 a month on their merchant processing accounts, but they make $20 a month on their gift card accounts. So they invest no money on the gift card piece. In mm-hmm. fact, they reduce the, the expense there and they cut people, cut service, cut things like that. 
and they're only worried about where they process merchant processing. Whereas mm-hmm. being a cross-processing platform, we process with everybody. And our investment is only in gift and loyalty um, integrations. So we're able to focus our funds where it's needed. So we've had numerous other legacy products. We all remember Getty, Sage, Paya, right? Which they they no longer do gift cards. They they, they send all their gift cards to us. OptiCard has been shut down. So there's a lot of those things that just, they don't work anymore because they simply haven't invested in that product. They haven't updated, right? I mean, they haven't kind of changed with the times. Not and, at all. And 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 the cross integration that you talk about, um, that Factor Four does, um, you know, is not apparent. It's not, it's not part of these. They're not focused on that because their main business is merchant processing. It's merchant processing. That's and, that's what they focus on. Right, and what they happen to use, you know, the that's terminals correct. that they happen to give their merchants. That's right. Right. Yep. Yeah, good stuff. Yep. You know, something I'm realizing, uh, a, a, kind of a different question just popped into my mind that I was thinking, Dan, I wonder if our audience even really understands this. Let's let's assume for a second that I own a pizza shop, which is kind of my favorite personal It's vertical. always a pizza shop. I always, I always a pizza shop. <laughs> Who doesn't like pizza shops? <laughs> right, right. Um, right? Who doesn't like pizza? I sold a lot of them. I don't know. I like pizza shops. So let's say I'm a pizza shop and I have a clover. That's a, probably the most, let's use two, let's say a Clover and let's use a different example of a pizza shop just using a Valor terminal, okay? Mm-hmm. Everybody understands gift cards. We get that. We're about to talk about online gift cards in a minute. But before we get to that, what does loyalty mean in that context? What what it, what services would you provide to the pizza shop in those two scenarios and how would that work? So, so for us, loyalty is very specific to that merchant's needs, right? We want to have that conversation with the owner of the pizza shop and say, listen, what can we do to help you drive new business? Right. How does that work for you? Because typically he's busy on Friday and Saturday nights. He doesn't need more business those nights. So how do you drive business on that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights mm-hmm. when he's not full staff, when he's not running around like it's crazy? So what we'll do is say, well, hey, look, we'll do specials. If you buy a pizza on Friday night, we'll give you a reward that can be used for Tuesday through Thursday. So it'll help drive business because he's paying rent on those nights. He's paying electric. He's paying to heat the ovens. He's paying employees. Right. But we're going to help drive business because that's his need. And every conversation we have with a customer about loyalty is really specific on how to help them grow their business. So, so really, so that's the discussion. Just out of curiosity, okay. how would have been – I'm sorry, James. I just no, – you know, right. on that question, you talked about, okay, we give you a, a coupon – right, on Friday to use for Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. What kind of uptake have you seen? I mean, you know, do you keep those kind of statistics? Do you know whether we do are really coming in? We do. So what happens is with our system, everything's assigned to an account number, whether it's a phone number or a card number. Uh-huh. So we're going to be able to add value to that card and see those redemptions on that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I would tell you that 15, 20% of those people who get a a coupon or an added value right. will come in during those time periods that typically would not have come. Okay. And that's the kind of return you're going to get on those. Okay. Yeah. So I have a couple of follow-up questions. So yeah. one is just to clarify um, these conversations that you have with mm-hmm. the merchant. These are what? These are proactive, uh, uh, you know, an agent signs somebody up and, and oh, they're going to use factor four. And then what? Somebody, a factor four account rep reaches out to them or what or what do you mean? Or is it just they sign up for loyalty, then you talk to them? Or how does that flow work exactly? So so that flow works is we'll, we'll have the agent. The agent will call and says, look, hey, I, I need to have someone talk to my merchant with me. 
about okay. his loyalty program. We want to work together because he knows a little bit more about the business. Sure. So we'll do a three-way call okay. to make okay. sure because what will happen, that agent will become educated on how to do it themselves next time. Right. Because sure. then they're they're going to then say, call us, hey, guess what? I got this guy and, and he wants to do the same thing he did. Right. Boom. So it's got real it. simple that way. Yep. Okay. And then, and then my other questions, again, just to help our audience kind of visualize this a little bit. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm the customer. I'm coming to buy it, that pizza on Friday night. Mm-hmm. If I'm at the Clover versus at the at the Valor, how do I actually get this coupon? So what we do is whether we've assigned that card, if it, if it's a card program, because we both have card and cardless program, if it's a card, he simply swipes his card. We give him credit for that sale. Then we add five dollars to that card as value, so that he he simply walks out of there with five dollars on his card, knowing that he can use it Tuesday through Thursday. And the same thing will happen if he does if he does cardless. He just gives his phone number, which he probably did when he ordered the pizza. Sure. And we've added five dollars to that phone number, so he can use it just for those nights, just oh. for those nights. And, and we'll make sure our system uh, notifies the customer, and then then that value can only be used during those nights. Very interesting. Cool. That's pretty cool. Okay, cool. Yeah. Do you guys also one well one last one? Let me get back on my normal question. Okay. Now this is a great topic. My mind's running a little bit. Um, so what about communication? You know, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about that. Okay. I'm, so I'm, I'm depending on my, my teenager behind the counter to let them know about this. Right. Um, I'm assuming you have additional, maybe as a text or email or some kind of additional follow-up to say, Hey, don't forget to come get your pizza. Or is there, do you have any of that kind of functionality? We absolutely do. We have multiple levels of loyalty, right? So we can do basic, we can do cardless. We can also do loyalty plus that allows you to communicate to those customers via SMS or via email. Very you can cool. pick and choose whichever way you want to do it. I think it's important because again, because our audience has just not really embrace this as something that they sell to add value a lot of times. I think they may not have as much of an understanding of kind of the nuts and bolts and how it works. That's very helpful. Um, so now that we understand that context, now let's go to to online. So we talk about the the online gift card programs and you know buying gift cards online and all of that. Talk about that and how that's kind of changed the gift card industry and, and your thoughts about it. So, you know, one of the things that we've seen, uh, obviously, over the last two or three years with all the craziness that's happened in our world, is that we're shopping online more often. Right. Um, it's just habit. It's what was available. And what we've seen is the ability for people to be able to buy a gift online, a gift card online, is essential to every merchant that has a web presence. And I would tell you that 90% of the merchants have a web presence. And having that ability to buy a gift card online, so so it's, there, there's so many things it does for you. It allows your store to be open 24-7, 365. So at 10 o'clock at night, when the pizza shop is closed and I want to buy a gift card because James really likes pizza, I'm going to buy him a gift card. Um, they'd be able to email a gift card. We can do that from our online gift card tool. There's the ability for, you know, listen, I know my daughter is in North Carolina and I want to buy her a gift card for a local pizza shop. I'm not going to call there. There's no way to get a gift card. I can do it online anytime I want. So all those things open up your business to more customers. It's that it's that increased sales, increased revenue opportunity. And um, online sales is 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 no longer a wish and should have. It's a must have because in today's world, you really need to have that presence. You need to have that information because whenever we're going shopping, we're just picking up our phone and we're seeing what's the closest one mm-hmm. and where I can do it. That's what we're doing nowadays. Yes, right. So that's the, that's the information. So you have to be able to shop and sell people right online there. Cool. Yeah, that's yep. really good. That's awesome. Um, okay, I have one last question. Uh, and this one is interesting because I think for our audience, especially, it's kind of their big pain point, And that is conversion. Mm-hmm. So 
For those that maybe aren't familiar, you go to sell a merchant and because gift cards are sticky, right? You go to sell a merchant and they say, oh, we love your proposal. We'd love to do dual pricing or we'd love to save this money on Interchange Plus or whatever. But we've got 700 gift cards or 400 gift cards that are out there with our customers that have a balance on them and we could never switch. So what? how do you handle the conversion of getting those people to convert over to factor four? How does that work? So it's 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 one of those things that we've been doing for the years that we've had factor four. We do multiple conversions a day. We are able to handle that data. And all we need is a list of existing card numbers and balances. We import them into our system. We do a lot of data manipulation to make sure those values that you send us are right, the same values that get in the door system. So it's really a turn off and then turn on. And between that, we're doing that conversion. We're able to load that information in our system. So those cards can be used just as if they were used with the other processor the next day, we absolutely able to use them in our system. And we make sure we make it really easy for the customer. So if it's a 15 digit card number, you just have to enter the last six. It's one of those real simple processes that we do. And again, we work, we work through the details to make sure the agent stays out of that process. And we work the data back and forth between the, mer the merchant to make sure it gets done right. Love it. That's awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Dan, this has been so interesting. I have a million other questions. We'll have to do another yeah, episode one of these times because it's so interesting. Um, <laughs> but for right now, for those in our audience that are interested, they want to learn more. I guess I should clarify, by the way, would you be interested in having like an individual agent reach out to you and say, hey, I, I need to be able to sell this or is you only looking for the, the ISO needs to reach out? What's your market there? James, we'll talk to everyone that needs a gift or loyalty program. So there's no, yeah. there's no, we, we talked that we have um, thousands of agents and we have hundreds of ISOs that work for us. Okay. So uh, absolutely, we'll talk to everyone. Great. And so Great. for those that do want to reach out, they want to learn more, where would you send them? <laughs> so factor4gift.com is our website. Uh, sales at factor4gift.com is a great email address. You can always send to Dan at factor4gift.com. That's me. Or our toll-free number, 844-444-4013. Say that, say that phone number one more time, if you would. Uh, toll free, 844-444-4013. And the website is factor, factor the number four. Number four, gift.com. So factor the number four, gift.com. Awesome. Well, Dan, it's uh, been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time to share the insights with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much, everybody. This episode is brought to you by ISOAMP. You can learn more at getisoamp.com, the leader in full service statement analysis. Now, one thing I don't talk about as often, Patty, is the training. And so uh, yeah. we, we actually have a separate website for that as well. You can go to ccsalespro.com slash training, ccsalespro.com slash training. We have training subscriptions. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because, you know, I'm about to talk about this tr new training course. Well, that training course is going to be available at the, the training subscriptions for our ISO clients. And we have those training subscriptions set up to where it's a fully white labeled thing. You can get your agents trained and all of that. But the cool thing is it's actually part of the same technology stack as the ISOAMP statement analysis. Okay, okay. So your agents have one sign in to do statement analysis, to do proposal generation, to do quick estimates, but also to go through training courses. You can leverage my training content. You can upload your own training content. Maybe you have specific, you know, how to go through a merchant application with our company or whatever. It's right. a full learning management software that we built from scratch. It's our software. We're very proud of it. So for that one, head over to ccsalespro.com slash training. There's a form there you could fill out or you can go to getisoamp.com and request a demo. And as part of that demo, just let my team know, hey, I also want to see the training and they'd be glad to show you that as well. Excellent. So head over to ccsalespro.com slash training. Let's keep moving.
This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, in Questions from the Field today, I wanted to talk about a recent consulting uh, deal. It's actually current uh, that I'm working on with the company. And uh, one of the things I'm doing is we're doing a weekly sales uh, meeting. And mm -hmm. this is a group of people who sell point of sale solutions remote. So over the phone, over Zoom. Okay. Um, okay. And so they get leads and then they sell point of sale systems. And so, right. um, which is actually kind of difficult, I would think. For yes. a point of sale system to do it, on a phone. It's uh well, it, you know, again, the phone and then of course Zoom to do a demo and, and all of that. Right, right. Um, but you know, it's like yes, yeah. But I've been working with the CEO of the company, and um, I think we're going, you know, we're we're seeing a really significant increase in sales and all that. And so Great. um a big part of that, I actually just finished making a video training program, which I'm actually gonna generalize and make available to everybody through okay. it has our sales training stuff. But um, it just kind of brought this idea up because it's so important. Like when you're like to, to your point, when you're selling remote, it is hard. Right. And it's you have to sell correctly. You know, you can get away with more when you're in person. They can't hang up on you. Um, mm -hmm. Right. And so this advice I'm going to give you today about these different emotional states that go through the sales process. Um, it's not that these are really any different remote than they are in person. It's just that it's more important when it's remote because you have to do it right. Otherwise, you're not going to make the sale. So, but I want to run through this. And so the, the title of the course that's going to come out is going to be selling payment and point of sale solutions remote. But again, I think a lot of this advice is going to, is going to uh, come over. So the, the core concept here, Patty, is this. When people are selling, they generally tend to think of the sales process in terms of things that they need to say, mm -hmm. um, or kind of these um, uh, actions that the prospect needs to take. Okay. Yeah. But, but they right. don't tend to think about the emotional state of the prospect. Mm -hmm. And really a sale is an emotional thing. There's sure. certainly logic that builds into this, but as you're making a sale, what you're really doing is you're taking people through this kind of emotional mapping. And right. we've had a ton of success. Just I've been working with a small team and we're seeing a huge increase in sales as they become more aware of, okay, wait a minute what am I trying to do right now? Well, I'm trying to get this prospect to the next emotional state. And so just mm -hmm. being aware of that. And so again, I'll have the complete video course. I think it's about an hour long or something like that, but I'm going to give you like the, the five minute version right now. Okay. Great, so great. number one is urgency. So the first emotional state that we need to get the prospect into is the state of urgency. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason that's important is because if there's no urgency, then there's no purpose for the conversation. Right. Business owners are way too busy to have conversations that they could have later, mm -hmm. right? Now, sometimes the prospect comes in with the urgency already. You know, they have a problem. They have a, an issue that you, you got to solve, solve it. Yeah. Right? right. Sometimes they don't. And you have to get creative and explain to them why there is this urgency. And so these are statements that you make early on, but you need to make sure you have these statements at the beginning. I know so many salespeople that they never get the person to a, a state of urgency at all. And then they get to the end of the sales process and they wonder why they can't close. Well, the reason you're not closing is because they you don't they don't need to make a decision right now. It's not urgent. Right. Start with urgency, right? So there's maybe a, a special offer that you have. You're doing a, you know, a free 
terminal placement or free Clover system until the end of the month or whatever. Um, or it could be an urgency of every day something is happening that's negative. So as, as an example, you're selling dual pricing to a restaurant. One of my favorite lines to use with a restaurant uh, like this is to say something like, um, you know, every day that goes by, 3% of your revenue, uh, you know, of, of the processing volume, 3% of that, every time somebody comes up to this counter, oh, see that person right there? They just They just rang up. You just lost money. Yeah. Every single time, all day, every day, until we get this implemented, you lose money. And that's what a lot of restaurant owners are realizing, which is why they become interested in dual pricing. So let me tell you what it is. But do you see what we're doing? Uh -huh. Right at the beginning, it's this sure. urgency for them to go, oh, wow. Like when I, if somebody doesn't buy from me, when I leave, I want them to maybe have a little bit of a hard time falling asleep that night. <laughs> I want them thinking about, man, did I make a mistake today not going with that guy? Like, oh, wow, wait a minute. What, what's what's my opportunity cost by not doing this? You know, what's, right? And so you've got to create urgency. All right, I got to move quick here. So you create urgency. Next, you got to create curiosity. Okay. Okay. How do you know if you've created curiosity? Very simple. If they're asking questions, mm -hmm. then you've created curiosity. Again, here's the mistake. The mistake people make is early in the sales process, they think it's their job to tell the prospect everything about what they have to offer. That is not your job. In fact, that is often the worst thing that you can do. The best thing that you can do is pique their interest and get them to ask you questions. You questions. Mm -hmm. Right? And say, what you know, now our solution, you know, friends, again, I'll stick with the restaurant point of sale. So we offer a point of sale solution to restaurants. And obviously we have a lot of different features, but I'm just curious, what are some of the challenges that you have faced? And maybe some of the things with your current system that you've been thinking about and wishing you could upgrade or change a setting. Is there anything like that that comes to your mind? And they mm -hmm. say, uh, no, not really. Okay. What about table side ordering? Is that something that you've implemented? Right. And so I'm asking them questions right off the bat, because I don't want to just dive right in and say, let me tell you the 18 different things that we can do for you. I don't know if those 18 things are valuable to that person. And so I want to say things. And like another example is when I'm you know, pitching something like dual pricing, I'll say, you know, I'm sure you've heard that most restaurants are moving in the direction now of eliminating the net cost of payment processing. Uh, and so obviously there's a lot of different ways to do that. Is that something you've explored? Well, what are they going to say? They're going to say, well, no, what do you mean? How does that work? Do you see what I'm doing? They're curious. They're saying, well, wait a minute, what are you talking Waiting. about? So sure, sure. Create curiosity. So urgency, curiosity, and then interest. Interest. So interest is when you are able to ask them questions and they're able to ask you questions back, but it's it's gotten more specific. So curiosity is what do you that sounds really interesting to me, but I'm not, I don't know specifically what you're talking about. So I'm just curious, curious about it. Right. Interest is. That's a specific thing. Okay, wait a minute. So you're telling me that you could eliminate the processing fees or you're telling me we could do table side ordering and increase our table turns. Can you tell me more about that? How does right. that work? Right? Right. right. Now we have not just broad curiosity, but so it's kind of a it's it's kind of a you know, curiosity and interest obviously go together, right. but it's like curiosity, then it builds into interest as it gets more specific and they understand what you're talking about. Um Very cool. Next, I got three more. Here we go. Commitment. Okay. okay. Now okay. This is where people think I'm talking about closing the sale, but I'm not. When I'm talking about commitment, I'm talking about an emotional state of commitment. So I like to use the example here of Tom Hopkins. I'm sure, Patty, you know who Tom Hopkins is, sales trainer extraordinaire from a long time ago. Right. Ironically, when I had the sales meeting with these all these young 20-something salespeople. Never heard of him. They didn't know who he was. I was right. like, oh, this is terrible. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to send you all a book to read. But um, 
one of the things that, so, so for those who don't know Tom Hopkins, he still, I think holds the record for the most individual residential property sold by a realtor in a year. It was a uh, 470 something where he sold more than he sold like two houses a day as a realtor, like closed two houses a day as a realtor. Most realtors wow. sell two houses a month. Yeah. Um, one of the ways he did that was as he was, you know, getting out there, um, he would, uh, talk to them and give them ownership questions. And so we're kind of getting into ownership, right? So we have commitment and then we slide into ownership. Commitment is where they're saying, you know, they're feeling committed to the conversation because they've shared information with you. They're feeling more committed to this conversation, to the, they're committed to the sales process. But as we slide into ownership, it's this idea of, you know, he would go take somebody to a house and say, um, you know, do you like the shade of blue on this house? Or do you think you would consider painting it maybe brown or, or a different color? And they would look at the house and he's got this couple and they got their kids and they would say, oh, I think it would look beautiful and maybe a, a burgundy color. Oh, that's a good idea. He'd walk him around back and say, look at this big yard now. You know, they I don't think they had any kids. What do you, would you, do you have a play set? Like, would you put a swing set back here or a sandbox? Oh, we put a swing set over there and he put a sandbox over here. What's happening is they're owning the house. Right. Those sure. are decisions you can't make unless you own it. Right. And so right. in their mind, they're like, I already own it. Well, we can do that in payments, especially now with integrated payments. Just simple things, talking about the settings and how would they structure the system and how would you implement the table side ordering and what would your process be and how would you do this and what would you want the receipt to look like? So it's saying, if you decided to move forward, how would you like this and this and this to be? That's what you do in a demo. The purpose of a demo is not, I repeat, is not, is not, is not to show off features. It's not the purpose of a demo. The purpose of a demo is to create an emotional state of ownership. Yeah, sure. And the way you do that is by finding out what are they interested in, what do they want, what's important to them. And then you do show features, but only those features that are specifically important to them. Right. Onboarding a merchant is when you really got to dig into all the details and get everything set up correctly. What you're trying to do on a demo is get them to feel ownership and ask them all these ownership questions to where by the end of the demo, they feel like they're ready to move into the next phase, which is partnership. And that's the last phase. And partnership is where we kind of skip over the whole closing process in most cases, because you've already, they're, they're already feeling like they own it. Now in partnership, you just talk about shared objectives and timelines. And you say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm really excited to be working with you now. Um, after this demo, I feel confident we can service you. Let me run through the timeline of how I see this playing out. Here's what I need to do. Today, we're going to get some paperwork done. Then we're going to get this shipped out. Would it be okay if it came uh, in five-day shipping or do we need to rush it? How's that for a good closing statement, right? Mm -hmm. They say, uh, yeah, you better rush it. Great. They say, oh, five days is fine. Great. We just got a sale, right? But we don't make a big deal of it. We just keep moving, right? right. Okay, great. So we've got that. Awesome. Now here's the timeline. Once we do that, you know, and you just, it's just partnership. Now you're partners and you just have shared objectives and timelines um, and that's it. So when you think about your next sales process, here's what I would challenge you to do. Instead of thinking in terms of sales stages and things like that, although those are very important for tracking purposes and goal setting, think in terms of the emotional state of the prospect. Just this awareness will really help you even when you're following up to say, where did we leave off? Like, where? what is their emotional state? Did I create urgency? Uh, are they curious? Are they interested? Are they committed? Do they feel ownership? And are we partnered together in moving forward and implementing the solution? And if you go through all six of those, you got yourself a sale and you got yourself a good sale um, that's going to stick with you. So think in terms of emotional state as you're selling anything, especially integrated things. Excellent advice. Thanks, 
This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So James, you know, I try not to like overrun our our uh, listeners with data, uh, and I know I gave a big data dump last week, but I found this report um, just just this past couple of days um, from NCR. And oh sure, had, NCR, sure. Right, and they um, engaged Javelin Strategy and Research to do a consumer poll on consumer payment preferences. Okay. So I thought that would be worthwhile sharing this with folks. Um, they surveyed just over 3,000 consumers, and they found that consumers really value choice. 84% said that choice at the checkout is either very important or important. Hmm. Wow. Um, and, in the, and so then they kind of dived into, um, dove into use, uses. And they yeah. found that in the past 12 months, 51% of consumers use credit card. Especially, it's especially preferred for large dollar purchases, over $200. No surprise there. No surprise there. 39% debit cards. Okay. And here's the one that got me. 15% prefer, had used cash. 15%. 15%. That's I mean, a- I... I don't know how I feel about that number, actually. I guess I was expecting it to be a little higher, to be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know. I was expecting it to be close to 10, you know, given all the Gen X and Gen Zs and, you know. Sure. All, you know. Mm. But, um, you know, I thought it was interesting, for example, with, with Gen Z, their preferred use in the last uh, month or two, 92% had used debit cards, 87% had used credit cards, 83% had used cash. Wow. Now I'm thinking the cash is, think about this. I was really wondering about this. You know, some of it may be like vending machines. Of course. Right. Uh, mass transit. Tips. Chips. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not convinced that, 80, you know, that those 83% were very of purchases would add up to a whole lot of money. Right. Overall wallet share probably still very small. Right, right. Yeah. But here, you know, um, they did ask why consumers like cash. And the top reasons were convenience, of course. Right. It's safe. It can't be hacked. Mm. No fees. Right. To control spending. And to protect their privacy. Wow. You know. Yeah, and those reasons are all valid reasons. They're going to be around for a long time. Long time. And um, two-thirds of consumers said cash, they consider cash to be a fundamental option. Yeah. So forget the cashless society anytime soon. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting, And the last thing I want to touch on was the big hurdles for crypto. Okay. Just 13% of the consumers surveyed have ever owned crypto, and more likely than most are uh, Gen Z and millennials. Okay. Among those who own crypto, 46% used it to make a per- at least one purchase in the last 30 days. Uh, this translates to about 6% of consumers. Mm. 
Um, E-commerce and P2P are set to be the big use cases that power crypto, at least according to this research. Sure. More than half of consumers have made a crypto payment in the past year, and they did so online. Yeah. Just 26% made in-store purchases with crypto, which that actually surprises really su me. Yeah, I was going to say 26% is a lot. I'm like, That is really? a lot, right? Wow. I mean. Okay. Okay. Now, you know, it's 26% of the 13%, but still, you know. Right. It's a lot. And 49, half, almost half of them had sent crypto to someone else. Right. Which that I kind of get. I mean, even yep. I've sent crypto to someone else. So right. that's an easy use case. Yep. Um, but the in-store, I was really struck by that because, you know, I just did a major piece on crypto for the green sheet. Yep. And one of the things that was interesting to me is many, not all, but many of the people I had interviewed just six months previously mm -hmm. who were gung-ho about rolling out their crypto solutions to the point of sale didn't want to be interviewed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had similar. Uh, I, I was looking for partners to do on the advertising side, you know, with crypto acceptance. Right. And I totally struck out, meaning struck none out. of them really have the capital at this point that they want to put into advertising. Yeah. You know, I'm not even sure they have the staff dedicated to it. I mean, I a couple know. of these people, like, you know, I, I would send to the staffer, right. get no response. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Good stats, Patty. As always, thanks for sharing. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.